Hey, everybody, and happy Friday to you all. It is, of course, Friday Happy Hour here on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I am your host, Tyler Buckingham, and I am joined by Peter Ravella and our good friend from up in Chicago, Dan Martin, host of the Next Gen Waterfronts podcast right here on ASPN. And Dan and Peter, uh, of course, it's Friday. We're going to kick back, have a couple cold ones, and talk about how our world has changed a little bit here uh, and how COVID-19 is changing us, changing our society, and maybe, in fact, changing our relationship to the shore. Uh, Dan, why don't you take the first shot of it? How is COVID-19 changing us? Well, <clears throat> thanks, Tyler. Uh, I wrote a piece on a, on a LinkedIn about, I'm going to say, two weeks ago, back on 311. Uh, and in that piece, I talked about where COVID-19 might take us, uh, what sort of changes we might anticipate. And it, I started by thinking about, well, what happened after 9-11? You know, security ramped up in Class A office buildings. They keep asking for your driver's license or something here in Chicago. Not all of them, but about 50 or 60 of the buildings. Just the, uh, I think it's actually sort of a standard of Class A buildings now. Technology pushed all those airline transactions online. Actual tickets kind of disappeared and became linked to individuals. And uh, tech, you know, sort of became... I guess our life with our smartphones uh, as the portal. Uh, we lost privacy, and to this day, I don't think I know exactly what to do about that. Since uh, well, since we didn't really think about it uh, before before that happened, we weren't expecting it. Uh, since there wasn't much of value online before 9-11, uh, the data breaches that now seem to occur seem to pop up every week. Uh, they were rare. Uh, but there's been a lot of unusual and kind of cool associated tech, like toll road transponders arrived. And I think that's all due to the rise of technology. It sort of drove right through the, the opening there. Um, after a short break, flying resumed. Uh, all the things like theme parks and landmarks reopened. A friend of mine actually was behind the opening of the Statue of Liberty, and he's got some great stories. And generally, uh, our lives uh, returned to pre-9-11 operations. Uh, but there was a sort of a new layer of security. And, and in fact, there's a lot of legal layers of, of, of lack of privacy that um, that, that I think we've lost here in America and other countries. Um, the Great Recession, a few years later, changed our lives again. And, uh, and, and careers were lost or changed. Housing collapsed. Many lost their homes. Uh, we cut back on travel, leading to staycations. Um, we saw a lot of memberships at zoos and, and other local attractions kind of go up right, at, right around the recession because that's something a membership could go back again and again. And, uh, and it's local. We also rediscovered other things in our hometowns and the towns that we could drive to. Um, eventually, actually not that long, the markets recovered and tech sort of kept going on. We splurged on so much with smart TVs and game systems, uh, Alexa, Google Assistant and Next Ring and similar things entered our lives. And you know now, now we're here, we're back in disaster mode. And the question, I think, for all of our shoreline activities is when over, where will the COVID-19 tsunami leave us on the beach? Uh, will we be floundering? What, what that's happened here, for example, in the, last, uh, <clears throat> in the last few days on a lot of TV shows, you've seen how they talk about social uh, uh, 
uh, distance and stuff and how that's working. And the way they're able to actually know that is they've got our cell phones and they can see how densely packed we are in different communities. Uh, where I live, Chicago, we get an A from some of them and a B from others in terms of that because they're actually seeing how far each individual cell phone owner is strained from their homes. So we're, we're not opposed to that, it seems, and it seems to be happily reported on the news. And a, a lot of us have probably heard about the thermometer, the Kinza, that reports our temperature no matter where we are in the country. And as a result, they've been able to back out the data of, of the higher temperatures from the flu. And now they're actually tracking where they think uh, where they think COVID-19 is. Um, and that's sort of the beginning of the Dan, nat me... nationalization of medical stuff. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I think one of the things that struck me about the article, and for folks out there, Dan Martin is on LinkedIn. You can look him up uh, with Market Feasibility Advisors. He's the managing principal. That's how you'd find him on LinkedIn. And I would encourage you guys to scroll back and take a look at this article from the, the 11th of of March. Uh, so that was uh, more than two weeks ago since when this uh, when this show is is released on on ASPM. But Dan, what the reason I wanted to catch up with you on this was I, I had never put together uh, the lasting implications of 9-11 and how it, you know, we think it happened. It was, a, you know, it was a period of time that you know, we go to war, but you but I hadn't really given a great deal of thought to the resonance of that event in our lives in very specific ways. And you outlined that. And I, I, I guess what struck me is there's no doubt in my mind after reading what you wrote that a similar transition is going to come as a result of the COVID-19 event, uh, particularly in how we behave and act and recreate, you know, to give it a little coastal spin. Is that, I mean, did you, do you find, I guess you, was that a surprise to you? Cause that was a surprise to me. I, you know, when did this sort of these dots get connected for you? The well, 9 11 I, and COVID and. Why well, it, it hit me early on because uh, because way back when um, uh, the recession hit, um, uh, you know, just to out a little here is is I actually wrote a piece on what the recession was going to do to us. Uh, so this is this is the second time around on predicting, you know, what what changes are going to come. And and I think a lot of coastal things um, are going to change in in a couple of ways, mostly with respect to. Uh, all of the leisure ideas of what we do on the coast, whether it's second homes, resorts, um, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's you know v uh, VRBOs that we uh, we sign up for, but even cruise ships and things related to cruise ships, I I think cruise ships have taken a real hit, and um, uh, I I know that there was some uh, special accommodations for them in the bill to pass the Senate, and I think that will carry through the House. Um, uh, and actually, when you hear this, when you hear this podcast, you will know because it'll be after that. But the the uh, the reality is, I think people hadn't really thought about cruise ships as floating petri dishes before. And 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 actually, Tyler, um, you were just on a cruise ship, so you That's might right. have some insights there. Uh, you know, as far as you know, how close people are packed, how they breathe the same air, they are in a relatively small place, and well, therefore you know, can pass. Yeah, I mean it's it is interesting. I I 
I mean, I've always heard the, uh, you know, it's like a long-standing joke that, uh, you know, you don't want to be on a cruise ship when uh, dysentery breaks out because it's going to be a crazy situation <laughs> and very unpleasant and that there's a, a, a possibility of that you're on a confined space in a confined space but i did find it very interesting in the covid discussion how this extended to p the the beach which you know historically to me uh i when i think of going to the beach i think of as being a very cleansing and uh you know therapeutic experience clean air you know salt water that's good for your skin and stuff and the notion that you would that th these places were being used, especially the shots of spring break as kind of the as being kind of Petri dishes themselves, I think was is really a branding shift. I mean, for the beach, you know, uh, really, I don't I can't ever recall beaches having that kind of negative publicity, really. I, I think you're I think you're spot on. I think, you know, beaches uh, were all of those things you described and were an escape. They were an if something is an escape, that means it's almost a little bit of, you know, private nirvana available to all of us. And and I think beaches have been sort of soiled a little bit by by this. And and actually the whole process of getting to the beach, if it involves more than just getting in your car and driving to it has also been sort of messed up. Like even airplanes now are, are flying with the middle seats empty so as to provide some social distance um, while flying. And the flight loads have been cut severely. We all had heard stories over the years about how, you know, as you say, when somebody gets dysentery on a, on a, on a, on a cruise ship, and the same thing if somebody has a cold on a plane and people seem to feel that the air cleaning system isn't that adequate. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I agree with that, but but now airplane travel has sort of been messed up a little bit and going through airports, in fact, going through any public space. It, you know, the great outdoors, except for natural areas, um, of which in theory the beach is, um, you know, have really been sort of soiled by this process. And and uh, and and I I think we're gonna find ourselves a much more indoor oriented culture after after COVID-19. And part of it is when you do something for six or eight weeks in a row, which is I think inevitably what this is gonna be, I think it becomes a habit and you begin to discover things that you didn't realize you could do with your TV. Man, Peter, what are your thoughts? Well, here's a couple. When we, we, well, when we start really looking at the broad brush implications from a coastal perspective, we're talking about, I think you guys are right, uh, the beach closures all around the United States are extensive. We did a compilation article just linking all of the stories that were available over a couple of days on beach closures. It's massive. We know the, 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 the cruise industry has been affected, but show, so has shipping and international trade. Uh, I, I think the Airbnb industry and and as as you said uh dan that these these availability and use of these second homes as rental properties is under a great deal of scrutiny uh, local beach communities are trying to prevent people from moving into town to escape the cities uh, partly in response to the limitations on medical care in a lot of these communities. They're not staffed up 
to handle an outbreak. Uh, so it just seems across the board, kind of everything that I can think about coastal is being touched, uh, including the conference we just attended online, right. which was the National Coastal Summit in Washington, D.C. this week, which we did not attend and was turned into a virtual event. And I have to say, Dan, it worked damn good. Um, yeah. Is this going to make it, you know, less well, likely that we're going to go to these things? I, I, I think I think it'll I think it'll certainly um, it'll certainly have an impact because, you know, once we discover that there are cheaper and easier ways to do things, uh, uh, we Americans are, are, are loath to go back uh, to get off our couch if we don't have to. Um, even, even this is going to sound crazy. Even my family, um, um, my wife and kids and I enjoy traveling. And, uh, and so we've gotten our travel fix by watching a lot of our curious traveler and Rick Steves and national geographic, uh, shows, um, uh, including that AMC one with, uh, rich, Sir Richard Attenborough that aired and we had on DVR. Um, so I, I, I think, I think, you know, even the itch to travel, uh, might, might decline a bit and, and, Part of that itch to travel isn't only because you feel like you can catch some of that joy in your home with the big screen TV that looks like you're looking out a window, uh, but also because you're a little wary of the airplane, of the rental car. And you mentioned Airbnb, and Airbnb is a fine operation. I've stayed in them a whole bunch of times, but they were just kind of getting past the scandal of hidden cameras. Um and, uh, and, and, and authenticity where up in Canada, they discovered, you know, five or six owners, each of which had maybe a hundred, 150 properties apiece, which didn't make it very, didn't made it more like a distributed hotel than a custom operation. So I, I think, I think, you know, at every step of the travel, uh, process, um, you know, it, it, Avis was actually one of the first out of the box for me. They sent me an email, Avis and Hertz. Uh, basically saying, hey, we're doing extra cleaning on our cars. Well, the only reason they sent that email was because they figured that everybody was now questioning whether or not the cars were genuinely clean. Um, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Hampton Inn. Right. Hampton Inn has always made a big deal out of the fact that they wash the duvets and the, <clears throat> the well, everyone changes the sheets, but they wash the the uh, the blankets every day. So you get something fresh every day, not the last person's. How many people have seen videos for, with people with little infrared lights showing all sorts of curious stuff on on right. what had been on clean duvets? So so I, I, think, I think a lot of a lot of brands um I'm going to say unwittingly, but, you know, maybe they deserve credit, uh, have sort of positioned themselves as being the clean alternative. And I do think that's going to matter. And that may be a problem with Airbnb and VRBO because um, part of their charm is that they're kind of amateur operations. And not everybody is going to want to have an amateur operation so we may see you know certified house cleaners we may see you know for vrbo you know like uh vrbo may begin to just like the old triple a used to rate things on stars uh no they were diamonds uh, i think triple a diamonds and you know we may see you know places are going to be rated on their cleanliness you know four out of five or five out of five and you know uh, it used to be that you know that was implied in the rating system but now we may pull that particular characteristic out because we care more. Yeah. There's no, I don't think you brought something up. <laughs> Go ahead, Tyler. Well, I just, I, I completely agree that there is a, uh, an emergence of 
of, you know, the cleanliness factor is going to be something that I think lingers for a very long time. And, you know, we're just not going to go back to the world pre-COVID where the notion of picking up a bug is, is not on our mind. I mean, uh, this is going to linger for, for a long period of time. It's not like we haven't had some of this before. Like, how many bed bug stories have we heard about standing in hotels? Um, there are certain brands that I actually choose not to stay in because I just don't think they're clean. Uh, but now my now my universe is getting even narrower, and because it, those places will inevitably charge more for staying at them because they you know go this extra mile or they're they're offering this extra thing. And of course, the more they charge, has no relationship to how much they're paying their housekeepers. It's just they can get more. Uh, the, uh, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, think, I think we may actually see more, more brand loyalty and, and things like that in the future. I think the stronger uh, higher-end properties in IHG, Marriott, and Hilton, among others, might, uh, Hyatt, uh, might, see, uh, might see, you know, more of them heading in that direction because I think just in general, um, like restaurants uh, here in Chicago, or the restaurants are closed, but for takeoff, a takeout at this time. And the result is that uh, a lot of independent restaurants are really in serious trouble. I think it was hyperbole, but a guy from the Chicago Restaurant Association uh, offered that he thought about 75% of the independent restaurants would not reopen uh, because they just didn't have that financial stability to unexpectedly close down for a few months. So so where that leads me to is, is that I think just in general, uh, we're going to get a little more wary about where we're eating, where we're staying. And, uh, and, and I think we're, we, we may be headed toward an even more brand-driven world uh, for places to eat and drink, stay, and ways to travel. Wow. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't argue with it. I think that's, that's correct and, and, a, and a great projection forward. Uh, the amateur, you're right. It's one of the appeals of, of Airbnb and Tyler and I, when we're at the coast, I would say most of the time that's what we're doing. Uh, the cleaning fees are kind of a sizable little chunk that's added on at the end, uh, but it's the it's the authenticity of that. It's sort of the uh, sense that you're not in the system, that these are more personal, it's a better experience, it's more comfortable. All of those attributes uh, without the professionalism to give you confidence uh, in the safety and cleanliness of the place, that's going to have to be a, that's going to, it's going to drive up prices and it's going to, I would think, push down demand. Is that saying too much? Well, I, I think actually the places that will be survivors will be um, ones that do unfortunately have to add this extra layer of, you know, uh, almost like a good housekeeping seal of, yep, we're clean. Uh, and, and I think, uh, uh, I think they, I think it will drive up demand for those places, which will therefore drive down demand in general. And coupled with the idea that we've discovered that um, staying at home isn't great, but it's not, it doesn't, it's not terrible either. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, I think all that sort of comes together to say there will maybe less demand for travel, and to some extent that will be less demand for travel. Uh, two places, you know, on the coast, because that's that's what that's what we have done. Um, a lot of people have bought second homes uh, on the premise that they're going to be putting them into Airbnb when they're not there. 
uh, or that they're going to be doing some other sort of scheme where they have a, you know, uh, uh, where they may even just be investing in properties, you know, one of the 16,000 condos uh, in the outer banks, for example. Um, I think those valuations um, might might drop a bit. And and actually, some people may not be able to genuinely afford their second home if they're not getting a whole lot in terms of uh, their uh, rentals of the property as well. I got I want to zag here on this take, see- if, if that's all right. I, I want to go the other direction. Uh, you know, I, I well, for one for one, I think that um, uh, as as we said before, you know, the beach is still kind of a therapeutic place. Get your fresh air, that coastal air, and uh, you know, I could see right now, and in fact, I think we are seeing this kind of an exodus. I'm talking about right now during the COVID event, um, an immediate interest in folks getting away from cities and to relaxing places where they can lock down. Now, this is obviously, you know, a subset of relatively wealthy folks who can work from home or work with an internet connection. But, you know, I could very easily see someone uh, in the Los Angeles area saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to get out of town here and look look to a beach house like my mother's, you know, which is a couple hours north. You drive up, you you bring your your wife and kids and you just lay low there um, away from the big city. So I could see that happening as well. I know we're seeing that here in the Austin area with people kind of going out to their family ranches or even renting uh, places for a couple weeks. Uh, be interesting to see that. The other interesting thing, as I think about this, is the dynamic between, as you said, Dan, I mean, public spaces just took it on the chin. And in the coastal environment where the public-private dynamics are so uh, delicate and and hard fought, right now, if you, are a, if you are at a private beach house, you have got the beach to yourself. I mean, it... We've basically, I mean, by getting rid of the public, we've privatized the whole shoreline for a little bit. I mean, at least in terms of the people who are there. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. Well, I think, I think you've hit on, on uh, when you said for a little bit, I think that's a key phrase. And that is the future that we're sort of talking about here isn't necessarily the future forever, just as, you know, the past right before 9-11 changed with 9-11 the past right before the Great Recession changed uh, and became the world after 9-11. I'm sorry, world after the Great Recession. I think we're going to, I mean, we're going to be whatever we become for a few years. And and then we will tend toward, uh, I think, more human quality. So I think, you know, public spaces and stuff and beaches will certainly, you know, return in theory to what they were if there's nothing else that gets in the way. So if you think about those three things of 9-11, of uh, the Great Recession and this, um, you know, something else cataclysmic or seemingly cataclysmic may happen in another five or seven years that will redirect us altogether. So, mm-hmm. or may, maybe eight or 10 years. So, so, so at some point, and, and, and it's because, you know, you know, uh, that whole notion of the herd instinct that, uh, that, uh, that crazy Boris Johnson was talking about, uh, before he realized he had to, you know, get people to stay in their homes. Um, there is a herd instinct and we all, we all do sort of move, um, as, as a group. Yes, there are certain rivulets that are different. 
but you know we 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 we're all independent beings. So I I think I think that that that's true. Oh, likely. You know, uh, I think it you know that some of these changes are going to stick. And Dan, in your article on three eleven, uh, one of the things you mentioned. Uh, is telemedicine. It's not a coastal issue, really. Uh, but, but I think if you imagine what it takes to go to the doctor to sit in a waiting room with other sick people for you know thirty minutes, maybe forty-five minutes, to get ten minutes with a doctor and walk out with a prescription, uh, the inefficiency of that and the unnecessary risk of that seems completely unsustainable after this if you can see a doctor get a prescription and obtain your medicine through the mail uh most routine appointments don't require that you attend i think that's going to stick around i i think i think that in particular is 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 right um i mean i i uh i have a telemedicine appointment this afternoon with my doctor uh and and uh when i had sent him and of course i deal with him through uh, a mechanism called my chart so we're already digitally he's sending me test results things like that and so when i sent in a, a note saying hey i want to talk about this this and this he said i don't want you to come near the hospital he said we'll do it over the phone and and he said, be sure and have the data from your. Uh, I, I have type two diabetes, like you know, I don't know, thirty million Americans, and and I have a device on me that tracks what my blood sugars are. And uh, he said, be sure to have the data from that available. And and if I were to be somebody that had a uh, I don't know one of the watches, uh, an Apple Watch that is constantly, or the Google versions or others that that constantly track my health in so many different metrics. Um, then, then that would be easily downloaded into telemedicine, and in the uh, uh, and, and in fact, you know, things like uh, Peloton must be really happy right now uh, because uh, you don't have to go to the gym. You can be, the gym has come to you when you're watching you and the others yeah. race race. So, so what does that mean about travel? Well, what that could mean about travel and where we live. Going back to your point, Tyler, it means we can live almost anywhere. Right. Uh, you, you, you know, like I, 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 I see, I see. You know, my doctor, Doctor Dan, I see him. You know, periodically, and uh, um, uh, and and maybe I don't need to see him. But what it will mean is that I might get my blood work done wherever I am, and that information is sent to him. Uh, to the extent that that's necessary, when I have all these devices that are tracking uh, my 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 human body as an organism, you know, now and in the future. So it's going to be different. But the other sort of twist is, and I really I like this kind of story too. Uh, is is uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, has two sons who are both in business. One's in business in Atlanta. The other is in business in Washington, D.C. Uh, this guy is still in Chicago. Um, and now his wife and his, uh, uh, his, his daughter are down in another city uh, where, where the daughter is getting some specialized training. But um, my friend and his two sons, his two sons flew in to Chicago from um uh from atlanta and from washington and the three of them are in his are in his condo uh basically batching it for uh, for a period of time so to wait not the disaster but um 
but they're all we should have invited them to happy hour i mean they sound yeah, like I prime sh- primo guests here to friday they, they, well not only that it would it would it would have dropped our age by about 15 years uh uh the uh no that's the uh <laughs> Uh, but but the but the beauty of it is is the three of them uh, seem to be able to through Zoom and other telemeeting systems seem to be able to meet perfectly well uh, with what they need to meet well, who they need to meet with and in what groupings. Uh, as 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 the guy told me the other day, he said, Dan, you know, there's like about eight or nine people in my meeting uh, every every uh, Monday morning at eight, and he said it's like watching Hollywood Squares. And I of course I asked if he was Paul Lind. Uh, and, 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 you know, that whole, that whole, he's in that the center. Whole, yeah, he's in the center. Yeah. So, 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 so I, I think this sort of interesting thing is that, that we're going to take more of our lives with us wherever we go, because, uh, I finally capitulated and got Disney plus the other day and, uh, for my kids. And, uh, and, and, and my daughter is more than happy to watch Disney plus on my phone. Uh, and, and, you know, you can watch it on multiple devices. So this new transitivity of everything still has the underlying bedrock principle of technology is changing our lives. And, and it's bringing us to places and allowing us to do things in spaces that we really weren't able to do a decade or certainly a decade or 20 years ago. Uh, and, and, you know, so it frees us to travel but we have to get over the trepidations that we may associate with travel, you know, especially to the coast. Um, I do think the cruise industry, having uh, back to that just for a second, I think the smaller ships um, actually will, will benefit from this because just perceptually they seem more manageable to keep clean uh, and to, and, and, you know, by and large, they, they t- they're more expensive and tend to have, you know, larger staterooms, but, you know, Pearl of the Seas and Viking and some of the others uh, that, that have smaller ships um, might see a faster resurgence um, than some of the, the big dogs, the gigantic ones. Interesting take. Well, yeah, the mega ships, the mega ships that are being built now may have 3,000, 4,000 passengers. It is, it is, you know, it's a Vegas hotel on the water. Um, I could see that being a little less favored uh, than the smaller. There were some other trends in your article that I thought were really perceptive and interesting. Um, on on retail, you were talking about Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts kind of doing just fine uh, in the aftermath of uh, of COVID nineteen uh, because people do need need their coffee but food delivery businesses you would think would expand as people get <clears throat> comfortable with ordering and delivery of restaurant food uh, and drinks i also th- thought that your yeah. comment about peloton being a company that's going to do well was perceptive you know the idea of going to a gym right now doesn't seem very appealing and if you can oh, do this doesn't. stuff at home you know, so the, these are very subtle things, but uh, I, I think you're on the right track. Well, we're equipping our home, our homes, whether it's with this, you know, TV, which used to be something that, you know, broadcast into our home, but is now a portal out of our home as well. 
um, with TVs being so different with, uh, you know, exercise equipment like Peloton and its copycats and, uh, and similar products, I shouldn't say copycats, uh, and, and so many other, you know, and the food delivery. I mean, we, you, you're right about that, particularly because that seems to have gotten the blessing of a lot of healthcare people saying, eh, you know, the odds of getting uh, COVID from a food delivery is pretty low. Um, oh, I, 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 let me personally just, have no idea how they figured that out, but I'm, but I'm not going to question it because I like the fresh food. Dan, let me just butt in here. You know, it's obviously <laughs> we're all trying to support our local places, which uh, we would all implore our audience to do, uh, keep them going. But, you know, it's here in Austin, you can now order uh, a sixer of bar craft cocktail Negronis, for example, to come to your house Uh pulling up an app i mean it is it's really kind of an interesting evolution that happened overnight uh and you know this all brings up dan this this interesting dynamic that i think is becoming very clear which is our virtual lives just just blew up i mean we are no longer commuting to work we we log on to our meetings on our computer we're using our wireless internet and our ability to transmit information pretty much anywhere at pretty high speeds uh, to each other to conduct our work. At least those of us that work in the digital space are able to do this. And I wonder what this does for, you know, the municipality, the local city. I mean, do you need to live near the museum or the, uh, the great opera if, in fact, you're going to be watching, you're going to be getting your entertainment as your daughter does through your iPhone or through a screen basically and does this not uh you know obviously humans are still going to crave outside time they're going we're going to need nature and fresh air does this unshackle us from the city limits does it send us to uh more rural uh places and would do you anticipate this having a, a change in the composition of Uh, towns across the American shoreline, especially working class towns on the American shoreline. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new Coastal Resiliency Department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. 
Well, I, I, I haven't really, um, uh, I, I haven't really, you know, addressed the idea of families either. And that is that my kids are now going to school digitally. Uh, and, and so that's again, something, you know, uh, households with children 18 and under only about 30% of all households in America. So 70%, the majority are not. But, um, but what that means is that even schools aren't tethering us in the way they used to. Uh, and, and, and a lot of this comes down to the whole notion of, of, of uh, preparation meets opportunity. And I know that's sort of an old fashioned sort of phrase, but, uh, but a lot of people, including me, uh, have largely worked from my home in the last decade. Yes, I have an office, but I don't go to it. I like working from home. Uh, and and uh, so I've been doing that, and, and there have been products developed so that I can do that. Um, uh, you know, even think about the system that, that we're recording this, um, this podcast on, right. uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's, you know, you, you, you can't see, a, um, uh, you, you, you listeners can, cannot, cannot see that we're all wearing, you know, suit coats and ties or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, uh, and then shorts, uh, but, but you, but, you know, it's sound, the sound quality, I hope, and I think, uh, is, is as good as something that would have been recorded in a fancy studio that would have required our collective attendance, um, you know, just uh, 15, 20 years ago. And, and so the, the, the fact that there were markets out there for software development, for Peloton, you know, for all of these things that uh, now are suddenly ramping up across society, uh, like the, you know, what led us to the ticketing that came after 9-11, you know, where I get my boarding pass for Southwest on my phone now. Um, you know, and, and, and I buy the ticket on the phone and so forth. That portal uh, of, of, of the phone has become critical uh, of having, having the smartphone. Now, it does have the danger of, of, crea- of, of making the digital divide between those individuals and those households that have cooler tech different, their lives different than those of all other households. Uh, so there is, there is a sort of a democratization of technology that, that, that we're going to have to, you know, think and talk about um, to be sure that everybody has access. Because, you know, one of the things that I mentioned and there was money and, you know, money is theoretically kind of dirty. It just passes around yeah, and carries uh, all sorts of stuff. You know, some whole countries have done away with money, paper money, that is. And, and yet in, in, in America here, we've got a few cities where they, where they recoiled to the thought of Philadelphia and I think San Francisco, to the thought of paper money not being a way to pay for stuff anymore. And they said, no, everybody has to be able to do this and not everybody can buy something digitally or with a credit card because not everybody has that. So, you know, there's we have to somehow bring everybody along with us to uh, to really make a system work if we want to go in this direction. But actually, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago, Tyler, about, you know, places and stuff. I think one particular category of place that isn't going to be harmed um, by this is, uh, is national parks. Um, because unlike beaches, I don't think they have been besmirched as places not to go. Um, ironically, I think that, you know, our top 10 national parks really are nothing more than beaches in that they're, you know, the Grand Canyon, for example, is, uh, is an enormous park, but a tiny part of it is the rim that you can go visit. And that rim is crowded three or four people deep you know, for much of the, of the tourist season. 
Uh, right. And, uh, and, and so, so I think national parks are going to be one thing. And, and, and I, I think some places, you know, you might see advertising for beach destinations featuring pictures of a lonely beach with one person walking along or just a set of footprints in the sand uh, to suggest that you could be the only person on that beach that you could come discover that beach. Uh, so I think, um, I think, and, and I think we may find beach products developed where, you know, a stretch of beach that's close to say Fort Lauderdale or close to somewhere on the Carolina shore, um, places that, that we don't really, that aren't sort of brands that we think of now, um, promoting themselves as come to the hidden beach, uh, hmm. uh you know, such and such a beach. <clears throat> so I, I think there's going to be all sorts of interesting, um, you know, advertising changes, you know, as to what makes a beach appealing. Because because right now, you know, beaches have the appeal uh, they had right after the movie Jaws came out. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good look. But um, Dan, going taking these broader trends and that you and Tyler are talking about greater access uh, through digital technology to to be in different places, to the delivery services, uh, the implications of as you said in your article, that perhaps decline, at least temporarily, for people being comfortable with air travel and maybe shifting more. In other words, all of these things together to me kind of sum up to the notion that we can be more separated and we can yeah. be, therefore, more safe. But what is the, when you start thinking about that, that we have technologically created the capacity of people to live more separately and less face-to-face -face engaged, I just got to think there are larger implications if that trend is true. Um, have, have you given that any thought? What would it mean if as a well, society we decided to stay apart from each other as much as we could? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it would – well. You know, I, I wrote, ironically, I, I wrote a piece on uh, LinkedIn uh, uh, about a week and a half before I wrote the piece we've been sort of talking around. And, and, and that piece was more or less saying, hey, some of my greatest moments have been at concerts, have been at festivals, have been at, you know, state fairs and things like that. And, uh, and I said, we just need to be sure um, that we come back to that uh, humanity after COVID-19 and especially during COVID-19. And so I guess this would have been like uh, March 3rd or March 2nd or something. And, and during COVID-19, we really need to reach out to a lot of the single and, and two-person households out there uh, that are in our lives because, uh, you know, a third of all American households are one-person households. And, uh, and, and when you add in the two-person households, you're probably about 60% there too, maybe a little more than 60. Uh, so, uh, so, so I, I think, I think, it's not a good thing in some ways. It is going to compel us. And, and to be frank, the people who are in one-person one households and two-person households that are, you know, mobile and stuff, the way they get human contact is through walking through a busy public square or going to a farmer's market every weekend and having the same conversation with, you know, the person that gets the, the perfect rutabaga for them. So I, I think I think there's a... I, I, I think human contact mm. is, is – but I also think human contact is going to – I think we're going to come back to another reality, and that is post-COVID-19. 
Um, the whole idea of uh, my family of four, uh, I, I have an older boy who lives uh, on his own now, uh, but, the, uh, you know, my family of four, once the bubble breaks and we start to interact with people through school, because I don't think schools are quite ready to go all digital. Um, some will, and it will become a market segment that does. Uh, but but I don't think all schools are ready for it. Um, and, and in part, because what's going on right now is my kids' teachers um, are, are still teaching, sort of, but they're also having to take care of their kids if they have them. Right. Uh, and so that's a that's that's not a tenable situation for them over the long run. Um, but uh, so I think I think, you know, but as soon as we break the bubble and go out, um, frankly, we're going to rediscover other people and how much we enjoy our lives with other people. The question is, is just how far will we push that? You know, will we push it to the point where we will get back on an airplane and and uh, and travel somewhere? And I think it'll take a while. I, I don't, you know, I, I think that's why, you know, the airplanes are satisfied to leave the middle seats empty these days because they know they're not going to fill them. And the other half of it too is, um, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan and flyer on Southwest and, and I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten from them advertising deals, uh, that are, you know, ridiculous. Now there may be only, you know, a small number of seats on a given flight, but, uh, with that deal, but there, but, but these days I think the whole plane's on sale. No doubt about it. And, uh, wow. you know, I definitely think as as we move through this, we will take advantage. We will take stock of the other advantage. You know, obviously, there's a health, a public health benefit that we are uh, trying to access right now by all staying home and not p- spreading or getting the, the virus. Um, but there's also an environmental benefit. You know, we're not commuting in our cars. We're not sitting in traffic. Uh, the canals in Venice had dolphins in them and are crystal clear. Um, the, the There's talk of, you know, how the air is super clean in LA. It's all greens, you know, in the air quality index, all greens across the LA basin. That hadn't That's happened great. in like 50 years or something. And I, I think that it's there's a potential here for people to maybe understand that this notion of working from home, of uh, has an environmental benefit as well. And I guess, Dan, my, my final question for you in this happy hour is, uh, I guess it'd be my second to final question. Cause I am eager to learn about, uh, what, what episodes you have <laughs> and coming I, and up. I have one more question too. For sure. So we'll say, we'll save the what's coming up on next gen waterfronts for the very end. But how do you, do you think that we will be able to take some of the lessons and trends uh, technologies that we have learned here uh, in adapting to the COVID era and apply them to uh, our cr- climate crisis initiatives. Oh yeah, I, I I think you know among other things the tracking of smartphones uh, and uh, and you know being able to recognize that you know uh, a large number of people are not leaving their home or not leaving the immediate area area around their home. Um, you know, to the extent that movement is now going to be considered a, an environmental, um, I guess, negative, uh, then, um, then, you know, areas in greater compliance uh, may get points for that in some way. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it is, is ultimately um, 
political, however. And, and you know, the, the bill that went through Congress or is going through Congress right now, uh, that truly is like a pig in a python, it's that huge. Um, that bill, uh, uh, there was an effort to, to, to add a green cast to it by uh, trying to get some green imperatives in there, particularly when it comes to air travel, and they were all rebuffed. So I think there is going to have to be a political change for the politics of a situation with regard to the environment to to uh, to come to a uh, come to you know a climate change moment here. But I do think that where there is business benefit to be made, and like I said, I mean all the all the change we're seeing is is happened because it's possible. So there were small niche markets that are now broad markets. You know, Zoom and Skype were there before, uh, but now they're bigger. Um, so I think we're going to see, you know, more uh, uh, more environmentalism just in general, simply because once we change the channel back to everyday life, um, I think, uh, at least I hope, climate change and its implications uh, will become the thing we begin to focus on uh, as 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 a national as a national uh, culture, you know, I do think that that's a, a little uh, is inevitable at, to to an extent. There's a lot of political momentum uh, that would have to be overcome, uh, but the ramifications of climate change are going to continue to be apparent, and at some point, the facts begin to speak. Uh, I wanted to ask Dan your get your comment on. Uh, on what happened recently in Austin and New Orleans. Uh, Tyler and I are in Austin, Texas, the home of South by Southwest. The festival was uh, planned for this month in March. It was canceled early in the discussion of the COVID-19 virus. Um, down in New Orleans, uh, Mardi Gras went ahead. I think it was mostly pre, pre-virus, but right now we see in New Orleans one of the outbreak hotspots. Uh, we don't see that in Austin, Texas. Uh, these, it's really about these festivals, but what about the comparison and the contrast of these two cities, New Orleans and Austin, with respect to the, I mean, this is gonna prove the case that the events are higher risk, I think. Is that a fair conclusion? Yeah, I, I think, um, I, and you know, there there actually have been a lot of uh, great sort of comparisons like that. St. Louis uh, canceled uh, its welcome back for the troops uh, after uh, World War One, when the Spanish flu was, uh, uh, um, was rising, uh, whereas Philadelphia went ahead and Philadelphia uh, had many more deaths associated with the Spanish flu because as you point out, you know, a lot of people in one place, high transmittability. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I do think, you know, that there are going to be some changes and I think we're, um, we're actually seeing some of that right now with so many, uh, music artists with, uh, uh, their little, um, uh, concerts. Uh, uh, you know, we've watched a couple this week, uh, uh my wife and kids and I, and, and I think, uh, others will watch others and, uh, you know, and, and that might actually, uh, undermine in a lot of ways, uh, concerts, um, as, as something we get back to, um, However, there is nothing like being in among people. But the uh, another dimension to that, though, is is that most concerts, even though there are, you know, our old timers like uh, like me, I mean, most concerts are are attended by younger people. 
so in 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 just in just you know 10 or 15 years um we will have uh, a crowd of people a crowd of kids who have no idea about transmittability i mean that's the thing about humanity is is you know we talk about history not so much repeating itself but rhyming uh history rhymes because uh we're always putting new people in our place and uh and so how we remember this is going to be interesting uh in that i don't think we're going to remember all of the bad stuff. Um, I think we are going to have some sort of a, a moment where we, where we. I don't think, for example, Mardi Gras is going to stop. And no. uh, and and I, and, and, and I, I applaud South by Southwest for for taking that step because they obviously saved a lot of people. Uh, but uh, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure South by Southwest, in some form, will be back next year. But what we may find is that some of these big events. Um, actually will will grow a second dimension. That is to say that South by Southwest will be a live event uh, next year, and it may be two-thirds of the size of what it had been in the past. Mardi Gras may be a live event, two-thirds the size of what it has been in the past, and then it might have as many people not there participating as people uh, who who are particip- who who were participating or who will be participating next year, kind of in the same way you guys just said that you went to a conference uh, virtually and damn it it worked. Uh, well, it, 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 it turns out that that I can I can make a hurricane. Uh, so uh, so if somebody's broadcasting or you know uh, doing all sorts of live shots from Mardi Gras next year, um, and I may have to pay a little bit for the subscription, I may do that so that I can have a Mardi Gras party in my house. Uh, I don't and, know, Dan. It's just not the yeah, same. Yeah, it, 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 well, you know, it, the, it, the whole bead thing is you know yeah. that's a deal. You got to well, be that, in. that's the, the next generation of TV. They're going to throw beads through the TVs at us. Uh, you know, it's it's coming uh, virtual. Well, think about that. I mean, we already have uh, we already have, um, you know, 3D uh, uh, headsets for watching TV. So uh, so I think a lot of live events are going to come to us. I don't think the live event itself will ever go away. But yeah. I think uh, I think there will be a new layer that will make some money to support the actual live event. That will uh, be an extension. There of was it. already like, a, a trend in sports arenas getting smaller and um having more, uh, you know, boxes, basically, you know, like segmented out areas with lots of TV screens in them and food. And, you know, the the notion that you'd go to a big old ballpark or football arena with that's just a bowl and hundreds of thousands of seats is changing because more and more people are streaming the game from their from their home or from their uh, cell phone and they can get an amazing picture in HD or even in virtual reality, uh, 3D, you know, and you can be sitting courtside of an NBA game or uh, at least, you know, watching a game in incredible detail like you would never be able to get from a major venue. So the one thing that these big stadiums had was the party, the 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 when, as you said, Dan, when you get all these people together, there's just a really cool vibe that occurs yeah. And um, there's no doubt that that big group vibe took it on the chin. Yeah, I, I, I think. Well, but even 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 if you think back to what you were just describing, um, my wife and I went to a couple of concerts a couple of years ago at uh, the United Center. And um, when I left, uh, I realized that, you know, the, because our we had the cheap seats, uh, I had actually spent most of my time watching the performers on the Jumbotron. 
And, yeah. uh, and, and, and if you think about it, I mean, how much shows up on the multiple jumbotrons that a lot of uh, facilities, sports facilities have now. So we're, we're actually being weaned into the idea of watching it on a screen is as cool as being there uh, or is actually cooler than trying to see the actual players. Um, so I think I think that the, the one place that I think is going to have a really hard time coming back in some ways, it's going to be the movie theater industry. Because I'm not sure that cinemas, because um, I don't think cinemas have have a reputation necessarily for being all that that clean anyhow, and it's a real bummer for them because because they just floors. sticky floors. But it's a real bummer for them because they just you know put all the money into cutting the seat count and putting in these you know barca loungers, uh, you know lazy boys uh, in and uh, having better food in a lot of cases. Uh, so I, I I sort of wonder what's going to happen. Uh, to the cinema industry. And, and of course, that means that in some areas where they're not going to have all their technological bells and whistles but still have cinemas, they'll still work fine. But in upscale areas, I don't know. I, I think we'll be able to, I mean, even right now, because of the circumstance we're in, they're releasing films directly to uh, to pay-per-view. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, changed. Dan, one final question i was interested in on my list at, uh, with you as a father with kids in school age uh you had mentioned that it's not quite clear that the educational establishment can be fully equipped to go digital um but here's the question i have for you as a father if the covid virus is floating around in august uh and it's very likely not to have been uh conquered uh when i'm thinking about putting a fifth grader on a bus to go to school, I'm not sure I'm going to do that, even if the school's not ready. How do you feel about that as a father and the potential risk associated with school attendance coming up this fall? Yeah, I think I think you've you've hit on a real interesting problem and are very um, I I don't want to say unsolved, but uh, possibly a real serious problem. Um, and I, I think we're going to find ourselves um, in this really awful conundrum between um, our children being safe uh, and uh, and our and our need to make money uh, to to generate you know for the household. Um, you know, my heart goes out to all the parents who uh, who right now um, are are have lost their jobs, and you know what what did we they say three point three million people. Um, have filed for unemployment in the last uh, short period of time, I'll say a week, 10 days. And, and that, that's only the tip of the iceberg. Um, you, you, you know, there is a whole class of people who work in the gig economy um, who by and large don't have health care too. And uh, so I think we're, we're, when I talk about the digital divide, it, it applies to other aspects of life as well. And do I want my Uber driver or my Lyft driver to not uh, be healthy because they have to work? Um, I I get a little squeamish about that myself. And that has, you know, so as a father, I'm concerned about the buses and stuff like that in the schools um, in general. But uh, uh, but I do think uh, and I do think, you know, starting next year. Um, teachers will be sh- will be shoving more stuff to the students through Google Classroom and and other online services like that, so that homework will be almost certainly done all online. 
Uh, so there will be changes that will come with this for schools. But I think just the whole Petri dish issue is something, you know, every time I get in an Uber or a Lyft, am I getting in uh, my own private Petri dish? Uh, and, and that's not a, an appealing prospect. So I think we need to lift the rest of society along with us because I think this has really shown some fissures in, in how safe some people's households are. Uh, you know, uh, the fact that um, the map I saw on TV showed it must have been two dozen states uh, have basically uh, put a halt to evictions um, during, during the COVID-19 crisis. That tells me how many states were smart enough to see how many people were that close to the edge. And it worries me that so many other states did not because I fear for the people there. On the other hand, if I, was a, if I owned a couple of three flats, um, I'm not sure what I would be able to do. So it sort of ripples up through the system. If I'm not getting rent, how am I going to be able to make the mortgage payments on this you know, pair of three flats that I have? So, you know, there, there's so many questions here. Well, uh, gentlemen, we have gone for about an hour, and it is a Friday happy hour. So I feel comfortable uh, signing off here. But before I do, Dan, I know you've got some shows in the pipeline. What are you planning on bringing the listeners of ASPN soon? Well, a couple of the directions that we were looking at is uh, is, is a fellow I know who uh, who runs a, a think tank that has a lot of uh, uh, people uh, who are in climate research. Um, they're, of course, not all going to work together now, and they're not working in their labs such as they are. Fortunately, a lot of them uh, have labs that are essentially the world around us. Um, but, uh, but I do want to talk to him about, uh, uh, you know, whether or not they've had to stop research and, and, and what, have, what have they seen um, as a result. Like you were pointing out the dolphins in, uh, in, uh, uh, in Venice um, and uh, being able to see the bottom of the waterways in Venice. And that turns out they were fish they were all on. Uh, it was just that the, uh, the propellers were churning up so much um, uh, particulate matter we didn't know they were there. Um, the other, uh, the other, you know, two shows that I'm, I'm looking at talking to is are talking to some people I know who uh, basically do outdoor attractions that are water-related outdoor attractions, and uh, the intent there is that I know there are a lot of coastal attractions or coastal resorts and communities. Uh, so communities uh, and, and resorts are operating somewhat differently uh, where, where, uh, uh, where the, the beach asset is going to be less of an attraction over coming years because of increasing uh, issues with, you know, can you get out there and be safe and riptides and such, uh, or is in fact the beach disappearing? Uh, as we're told, uh, half of the world's beaches will go, uh, I think, by 20, well, by 2100, I think. Um, and uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, guys. The uh, the other uh, the other aspect is I think if we go to the land side of these hotel structures or condo structures or uh, clusters of uh, rental houses, I think we're going to be able to create new water-based attractions there, and the beach will become more a place of part of what we you started this broadcast talking about, Tyler, and that is the beach as a as almost a sort of a sanctified edge of the universe kind of place. Where, where one where our world ends and another mysterious world begins and so I think the nature of beaches is going to change um, with the addition of more water attractions at these destinations and uh, and these and these resorts so I'll be talking to some folks who design and build those very cool Dan uh, thanks as always for uh, coming on 
Friday happy hour. Uh, Peter, do you have any uh, final thoughts? No, I think uh, I think I really appreciate Dan the insight that you bring this large-scale demographic economic perspective uh, to these transitions. Uh, I think it's safe to say six months from now, when we look back at this podcast, I think that uh, there'll be some things in here that we're talking about that have come to pass, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how we all respond to this incredible challenge in front of uh, not just Americans, but people all over the world. And, and, and the stuff that we're wrong about will be in complete denial about. So, you know, just like our politicians uh, who, who are forgotten last month. <laughs> well, uh, thank you all for listening to uh, Friday Happy Hour here on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll be back soon uh, uh, in the coming weeks with more coverage of the COVID-19 era on the American Shoreline, as well as our normal coverage about all things coastal and ocean related. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.